Well, good morning, Calvary family. This is a really exciting day for us, an important day in the life of the church. So I have just kind of an announcement and an introduction to make. I want to give you a little background for this announcement and introduction. Uh, on our staff, uh, we have an executive director who provides leadership to the administrative staff. And then we have a senior associate pastor who provides leadership to the ministry staff. And these two vital leadership roles enable me to focus on preaching, teaching, ministering to the congregation, and outreach. And as most of you know, at our annual meeting in June 2022, Pastor Jeff shared with the congregation his plan to transition to part-time and to focus on global ministries. So since that time, we've been praying for the Lord to provide, for the Lord to provide a godly man to pick up the baton that Pastor Jeff has carried so well and so faithfully, someone who can follow him and serve as our new senior associate pastor. There are four stages in our search process for the senior associate. First, the executive team evaluates resumes and does an extensive first interview. And then the second stage is the strategic planning committee who do thorough reference checks, speaking both to the references provided by the applicant as well as speaking to other people uh, whom the committee selects. Third is the elder stage. The elders conduct an extensive second interview. They dialogue with the applicant. They prayerfully evaluate whether or not he meets the biblical qualifications uh, for an elder as outlined in scripture. And then they decide whether to recommend him as a candidate to the congregation. And that brings us to what's occurring today, which is the fourth stage in which the candidate is presented by the elders to the congregation. And that is followed a few weeks later by a congregational vote on whether or not to call him to serve as one of our pastors. So today the elders are presenting to the congregation the candidate which we are recommending to be our senior associate pastor, and that is David Kanaversky. David has an MDiv from the Master Seminary and over 30 years of pastoral ministry experience, so he is exceptionally qualified for this role. His gifts in mentoring staff, leadership development, one-to-one -one and small group discipleship, biblical counseling, and congregational care are a wonderful fit for our needs and the job description established by the elders. But I think his most important qualification is the qualification of any gospel minister, and that is the testimony of changed lives. And we have heard many of those testimonies from those whom David has ministered to over the past 30 years. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, You are our letter of commendation, written in our hearts, known and read by all. In your bulletin insert, we've uh, included the same bio that we gave you last week, but we've also then added this week some excerpts of what God has written onto the hearts of people from a variety of walks of life through David's ministry. So I encourage you to take that and at home read through the letter of commendation written on the hearts of God's people. So it is my great privilege and honor to introduce to you as our senior associate candidate, David Kanaversky. When I was asked to send in the church picture, I was a little leery. And one of my pastor friends 
um, he was candidating at a church in another city and they asked him to send in a picture of his family. And the church decided they would put it on the bullet, a bulletin board in the community on these big bulletin boards. His, uh, his daughters were teenagers at the time and they were just mortified thinking that they'd come into the city and everybody would know who they were. But um, so I'm thankful for that. Thank you for allowing us to be here. My wife is with my son in the youth ministry somewhere on this campus. Um, so she will probably join, us, join me later um, together. She's a great helpmate to me, um, compliments me, and um, she's a great treasure as well. Well, I'm going to start with Psalm 11. So Psalm 11, why don't you turn to Psalm 11 with me, and we will stand and read that together. Going to be a good context for what we're going to speak on. So Psalm 11, I'll read it out loud, just follow along. But in honor of God's word, we'll stand and do that together. In the Lord I took refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness all the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Lord, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes beheld, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, the ones who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, and upon and the right upright will behold his face. You may be seated. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for our time this morning and as we spend some time in a psalm, psalm 11, Lord, that we would be reminding ourselves of how we need to trust in you and your word and not in our own emotion or thinking, especially in difficult times, things that we pray. Amen. Well, there are several kinds of psalms, several types of psalms. Some of them are called lament psalms, which is a psalm of grief or sorrow. Um, there are also psalms of thanksgiving, but some would say this is a psalm of trusting, Psalm 11. Trusting upon our God. A psalm of running to God in times of trouble and anticipating God's work. I want to start with an illustration. A married man went to a counselor due to stress in, home, in his home because of the marriage issues. The counselor learned that his patient liked to run. So he recommended that the counselor do some homework by going on a 10-mile run each day to help alleviate the stress before he went home for the evening. About two weeks or so later, the counselor called the counselor and asked how it was going. <laughs> the counselor said he's enjoying his runs. The counselor then asked, how the asked the counselor how him and his wife were doing. The counselor responded, I don't know. I'm about 120 miles from home. You know, although that is a very humorous illustration, it is a reminder that many times, times and stress and times of difficulties, that, that's exactly what many of us want to do, don't we? We want to run. We want to run away from those difficulty situations that we find ourselves in. We want to get away. This time in our world history even is a difficult time this morning or last night or yesterday. I woke up and um, Israel is at war. 
And it's a pretty serious situation. We have people potentially losing jobs due to employment regulations. There is much concern about the inflation and the impact on household budgets. We have a political environment that is hostile to freedom of religion. The political environment is saying that evil living is good and that good living is actually bad. So what do we want to do during these times? Many of us want to run. We want to run and get away. I introduced that song with an illustration because Psalm 11 starts out with the situation. It seems it was time for David to flee his circumstances. David must have, had, must have been in a difficult situation. He must have felt like he needed to flee. Even seems to indicate from this text that some of his counselors and his closest friends had encouraged him. Even in verse 1 there, how can you say to my soul, flee? His counselees were telling him to flee. And David's like, well, how do I know I should flee? How should I say to my soul, I need to flee? Now, we don't really know the circumstances. We don't given, are not given that in this psalm specifically. But several scholars would say that it might be related to David and Saul in their time of conflict. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 2 we see that Saul took 3,000, and it says, of his chosen men to pursue David. Can you imagine finding out that you were a wanted person and that there are 3,000 of the best law enforcement officers out there looking just to find you? Maybe this was the environment David found himself in. However, David seems to indicate that he chose not to run. I love what Martin Joy Jones, he's a a medical doctor in England and eventually became a pastor and a theologian. If you've not read any of his books, they're phenomenal. But he says this, he said, faith has a refusal to run. David is showing us to fight and not flee when difficult times comes. And we know that they will come. But we do know that David did not flee. We do know, however, that David was under some kind of opposition. We do know that some kind of panic has drawn out of the psalm. And David's advisors, I'm I'm sure they were well-intentioned, were saying to David, your kingdom is even under threat. That's what it says here in the psalm. Your kingdom, David, is under threat. 3,000 men are looking for you. What are you going to do? I think you should flee. You are in tremendous danger. It's time to flee. Maybe the kingdom can't be saved, but David, maybe you can at least save yourself. What is under the threat of us today? We have an assault on Christian values today as it pertains to the definition of marriage, a definition of who one may be, as compared to how God created us in his image, male and female. Threat of personal freedoms being taken away. Challenges of freedom of religion express how we express that. It seems that Christianity is under tremendous threat. We are and will be persecuted for, the scripture, for what the scriptures stand for. That's a guarantee. We will be persecuted. So let's start with, let's start with what David has here in Psalm 11. First of all, I want to see the counsel. 
the council verses 1 through 3. What was David, what were, what were the counselees telling David? David again seems receiving counsel at this time. They are encouraging David to flee as a bird to the mountains, it says. Sometimes as believers, we feel like fleeing rather than trusting in God. I love Psalm 55, 6. You can look it up later. So I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Don't we just want to get back to some rest and flee and get away from the trials and situations that we are in? Don't we want to do this in the midst of the most difficulties of times that we find ourselves in? We want to flee. Maybe we flee by checking out of life. Not participating in normal activities. Not reading the scriptures. Not fellowshipping with God's people. We have many ways of fleeing our temptations. So I ask you, what is your tendency to flee? How do you flee? And some of them are sinful fleas. Verse 2 seems to describe the situation a bit more in detail. It seems that the counselors were reminding him of his circumstances. It says, They made him, they made ready their arrows upon the string to shoot in the darkness at the upright of heart. The idea here is that the psalmist has given us a picture of a, of a sudden attack from an assassin. One hiding in the dark, ready to attack at night, and maybe even any time when one is least likely to expect it. That's kind of how the verbiage here is. I think you can phrase it this way. Their finger is on the trigger. They have a target in sight. David was the target, and his enemies seemed to have the advantage of when and how to get him in order to harm him. Can you imagine feeling that stress? I think I would just want to flee too. I got 3,000 men following me, coming after me. I don't know when or how they will come find me, but it's only a matter of time. Tell us a little bit more about this situation. Verse 3, it says, If the foundations are destroyed... That word foundation is an interesting word. It's, uh, it's actually only found in the Hebrew Bible. We don't see it outside of other Hebrew literature. But it's actually, if you look at Psalm 82.5, it's in there, or the one in Ezekiel 30, verse 4. And we will look at, I'll look at that with you real quick. You don't need to turn there, but if you want to write down Psalm, or Ezekiel 30, verse 4, it says this, The sword shall come upon Egypt, and great anguish shall be in Ethiopia. When the slain fall in Egypt, and they take away her wealth, and her foundations are broken down. Between that verse and Psalm 82.5, the, the idea seems to be referring to the foundations of established institutions of the community. Maybe including social and civil order that is now being taken down. It's now being destroyed. And what happens when social and civil disorder breaking down? You have anarchy. And you see that in a lot of countries. Think about the honorable foundations of integrity or, or honesty or morality and, and ethical standards that was once the foundation of this, this country. Or the respect and, and sanctity and permanency of marriage. Respect for life. Respect for those in authority over you. Even if you disagree. 
of these foundations of society are collapsing around us, aren't they? You see them. I see them. It sounds like David's counselors also saw them today. It almost sounds like David's counselors were living in America today. How they described it. It's easy to think that since our foundations are crumbling before our very eyes, of which I am not disagreeing with, that we sometimes need to flee. We give up. We, we yield our fears and discouragement. What can the righteous do? The question is asked. It seems that this is more written as a statement of defeat. Statement seems to be written as to say, David, since you have an enemy who's at your, who has your, his finger on the trigger and ready to kill you at any time and any place, and the very stability that we once had in our kingdom has been displaced by anarchy, treachery, and instability, what can we do, David, but flee? It seems David's counselors had a defeatist attitude. Defeatist attitude. This is what David's counselors were telling him. We live in a time where our universities have become a voice of secularism, humanism. That Judeo-Christian ethic that once formed this country is mocked and ridiculed. And actually Christians are becoming scapegoats. I like what one author says, Paul Powell, Powell says this. Our music is noise, our dances are convulsions, our language is unprintable, our art is junk, our worship is irreverent, our jails are overcrowded, our streets, houses, and parks are unsafe. When a couple walk down the marriage aisle, it won't last more than seven years, less than the warranty on a washer and dryer. That's true though, isn't it? That is the foundation that's crumbling under our various feet. Now, I'm not saying that we should not at times flee. In fact, if you look at Matthew 10, 23, we see that Jesus told his disciples to flee from the persecution that they were under and to go to another city. <coughs> I don't know if you're familiar with Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran minister in Germany. And he saw the writing on the wall before the Nazis took over. And for a brief period, he fled to the United States. After some time, he headed back to Germany and plotted to assassinate Hitler and work for the destruction of that Nazi regime. Mr. Bonhoeffer greatly, was greatly encouraged to stay in the United States, to, to write and to communicate to others about the atrocities of the Nazis that was occurring in Germany. Do you have a better chance of communicating what's going on outside of Germany But then what he did, he headed back to Germany. And he was soon captured and he was hung for treason as he plotted to kill Hitler. Bonhoeffer did not have to hung, be hung. He could have stayed in America. But he chose not to flee. He chose to stay there. He chose to stand firm. It's a timeless temptation to know when to flee. And when to stay. But we need to seek the right response. We need to realize God's providence in these circumstances. And that's what we're going to see in verses 4 through 7. His counsel to self. This is now David as he's heard his counselees. He's, he's now speaking to himself. Verse 4. 
The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, the ones who love violence and their soul hates. It seems that David is beginning now to speak to himself out loud and to his friends. David did what Psalm 42, 11 says. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed with me? Why are you speaking to yourself? Remember what Martin Lloyd-Jones says? Speaking about listening to oneself versus talking to oneself. We need to make sure that we are talking to ourself biblical truth and not just listening to the untruths that the world is throwing in our heads and we want to believe. That's what David was doing in verse 4. He's starting to speak to self. And I love what he does. How does he start? He starts with this emphatic, Lord, the Lord, L-O-R-D, the sovereign, mighty one. This is David's first thought. The Lord is in his temple. The Lord tests the righteous in verse 5. The Lord is righteous in verse 7. God, David, has God in his mind. His thoughts come back to the Lord, the sovereign one, the one that he could take refuge in. David is speaking to himself and reminding himself who's in charge during these times. It's not his counselors. It's even not his enemies. God is still in charge because he is the sovereign Lord. But that's easy. It's not us or easy to put from our head to our heart. To believe that truth when all this other negative is around us. But David's reminding himself, I need to trust my sovereign Lord. I love he continues on. He also says God's rule, the Lord is in his holy temple. The phrase seems to indicate that God is in heaven. And what's God doing in heaven? He's ruling there. Not just suntanning there. God is ruling in heaven. He is in control. David is reminding, is reminding that no matter his circumstances, that God, the Lord of heaven and earth, is, control, is in control of his. He's in control. No one can defeat his plan. Nothing is in our, nothing is out of his control. Reminds me of a few other verses, Psalm 45, 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter or uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Or in Psalm 99, verse 2, the Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. David's counselees were, were looking at their circumstances. But what was David doing? He was looking at his Lord. The one who rules from heaven even today. I encourage you, stop trying to control your fears. And start looking to the capital L-O-R-D, the one who controls our thing, all things. Well, not only does, but God also takes initiative. It says here he tests. He tests. It's an interesting word. The idea is testing is, is a precious, how precious metals are melted down to remove the impurities God has taken initiative to remove the impurities in yours and mine lives during difficult times. We're responding, are we responding in fear? God is testing the quality of your and mine faith. These times are tests. 
What is your attitude during difficult times? Fear or faith? Obeying man or obeying God? Testing is there to help us build our faith. You know, when young people, or maybe even you today, take a test at school or maybe at home, what is a good test to help to identify? It helps to identify and see what we understand or what we've learned. Our Lord, our sovereign ruler, has taken initiative to refine us and, and see what we learned about him and a desire to trust him and not fear our circumstances. When we flee these times, it does not allow us to be tested or refine us into pure gold. But to refine us into pure gold. God is in control. He rules. He also takes initiative to refine you and I. Maybe refining you in your worship of him. Appreciate the worship this morning. Many of you were singing out as I was sitting in the front. How we need to love others. There are some people that are very unlovable. But God tells us there's no respecter. We should not be respecters of persons. Maybe even you have a, a child. It's wayward, struggling. You're in animosity towards them. There's tension there. It's hard to love them. Or maybe a spouse. How is God refining you today, this week or this month? Well, the God not only tests, but he also judges. He also judges, the Lord judges in verse six here in our outline. Upon the wicked, he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. Think about that description. That is a pretty horrific description. Those who have destroyed the foundations of the society, those who have a target on David's back and on your back, what is their outcome? It seems that the ungodly feel free to reign as they will. They have no fear of what they are doing. But eventually God will reign an abundance of snares upon them, it says. This word snares is debated amongst the Hebrew scholars whether God is sending down an abundance of traps so they cannot do their evil deeds any longer or it is a continuation of what the outcome of their judgment will be. I think with the idea of an abundant of hot ciders, however, this word is defined by David as he reminds us that although man may think he's in control now, judgment will come. It might not come in my lifetime. It might not even come in their lifetime. But judgment's coming. And hell will not be a pretty place to be at. It also describes that it is a swift and horrible God will stop them from their wickedness as he rains living, burning, hot coals on them. And a hot wind will come upon them. What, what does that mean? What happens when wind comes upon a fire? It stokes it and it becomes even hotter. Those enemies might think they have the upper hand today. But time will come when judgment comes and they will be partakers of this hot burning coal. 
One commentator describes verse six this way. The prominent idea in this whole verse is the abundance, the suddenness, the terribleness, the destructiveness, and the irresistible violence of the calamities which shall come upon the wicked. Although the wicked may think they have the upper hand now, judgment is coming. Church family or friends or neighbors, family members that think they have the upper hand now and they reject God, horrible, swift judgment is coming. God hates those who revolt against the righteous. God loves the righteous, it says here. The one who does violence will be dealt with treacherously and judgment will come. Well, not only have we seen how the counselors have counseled David, but we've also seen how David had to counsel himself. We, we all see the Lord's judgment, but <laughs> I also want us to see God gives rewards. Verse seven. The upright will see his face. One day the righteous, those who have turned away from the evil world and turned to God who rules. The God who takes initiative to refine believers and understands that that God will judge those who have not followed in worshiping God will soon see God face to face. For the righteous, the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. Man, I'm looking forward to that day. I am looking forward to that. I have great kids that we love and you've seen the bio of them. God's given us some precious kids and a brand new granddaughter a couple months ago. We love them. They're precious, great memories. But I am looking forward to heaven too. Right? But church family, we have hope. Because David had hope because God gave it to him in his word. Even though he was counseled to flee, Instead, I think David stayed and fought. And how did he fight? By reminding himself of who God is. So let's stay and fight. Let's stay and fight. About a year ago, uh, my son and I, and uh, my youngest son who's at home, and my, daughter, and my wife and I went to a, a play in our community high school. My son's in public high school. And we went to a play, and um, we walked out of the play. It was horrible. There were things that were said and the way they described things, they were not even um, innuendos. Bodily parts that were very descriptive. And other language and, and the attire of the girls and the guys was very inappropriate. We, think, we thought about what we should do. I do know the superintendent of the school a little bit, so I went to him and I said, Dr. Snap, what should I do? And he suggested I talk to the principal of the high school. So we, we did. We went to the high school principal. We were very respectful of him and his position. And, but we did ask some questions like, help me understand. Why would you allow this happen when your bylaws and your code talks about what the kids can wear, what they can say and not say? And what I saw at that play last week violated that various code that you have. I don't understand why you would allow that at a play Plus, to me, this is a community event. I would not allow my 10 or 8 or 7 or even 13-year-old to go to this play. This is supposed to be a community event. It's not even advertised as PG or R at all. Again, we asked questions. We were trying to be gracious to him, respect his authority as a principal. He listened. 
He didn't give any solutions, which we weren't necessarily looking for, maybe a solution. But a year, the next school year, that person that was in charge of that play was dismissed. I don't know if it was my, what we did or not, but I'm thankful that we stood up to fight for a small little thing for the sake of even our community that's there. There's all kinds of ways to fight for things. You have to figure out what's to fight for. But you know what? I'm asking you, are you willing to fight? Are you willing to flee? And that's the question we need to ask ourselves, even today. Even today. I'm a person who believes really, truly, and James tells us that we need to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of it. And I think one way, and I learned this in my biblical counseling with Dr. Somerville, is we would always try to encourage our counselees to pray scripture. So I just gave you a couple examples of how we can pray scripture of Psalm 11. Lord, help me to know when to run and when to flee or when to stay. Give me faith to trust in you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being my refuge and my strength. Protect me and my family from the subtle forces of evil that salt us daily. Test me, Lord. Examine my heart and teach me how to be more upright and godly in this ungodly world that we live in. Even just to maybe ask yourselves these questions. What we might not be able to do anything about the condition that the world is in, but we can trust the Lord. Are you willing to do that? Another way to apply this is to think God is just and will execute justice for the righteous and the unrighteous. But God will do that. It's not my job to be in retribution. I hope those are some good reminders for you. If you're around me long enough, I like to to recommend books. Will Varner is a professor at the Master's College, a good friend of mine that we served for years together. The Master's College, he wrote this book called Awake, O Harp. Awake, O Harp. It's a devotional commentary on the Psalms. And he just goes through every psalm and has a very short um, description about the psalm and then how it can be a a devotional aspect within the context of what you're reading. It's very well done. It's very appropriate. He does a great job. He's he's a phenomenal Hebrew scholar um, as well. But this is one thing that's encouraged my heart. When I'm down, I, I get a book like this and read through a psalm and read through what the, the minds and hearts that people have attentiveness to the Lord. And um, so I recommend that book to you today. So let me pray, and I'll be up here this morning if you'd like to have some questions for me. Thank you for your attentiveness. Still, Lord, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your graciousness towards us. I thank you, dear Lord, because you've given us the word. Help us to think truthfully, rightly when it comes to difficult situations, whether I should flee or should fight. Thank you for David, dear Lord, willing to fight. But dear Lord, because he was willing to speak truth to himself and remind him of a gracious, wonderful, mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
You may be dismissed. Thank you.